This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, I'm excited because after a much, much too long hiatus, we are once again joined by our resident in many different uh, expert in many different subjects. Those subjects include happiness, dentistry, comedy, and growing your hair five or six inches taller than Don King is able to grow his. That's right. You've guessed it. Very, very pleased to welcome back this hour comedy writer, stand-up comic, host, author, producer, director, and former dentist, Jeffrey Gurian. Jeffrey, great to see you. Frank, it's so good to be on with you. I really, I always look forward to this. We have such Same a here. blast. We really have so much fun. I've missed you. How have you been? I miss you too. I've been great. I've been great. And I actually have a picture with Don King. We met at the Friars Club. I, none, none, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me in the least. And we thought it would be funny to take a picture together. How do you, you get your hair like that? It's a combination. It's a combination of electricity and Viagra. <laughs> I stick my finger in a light socket and I take that blue pill and it just pops right up. Did you actually? Because I have thick hair. I even though I I I don't want to destroy anyone's illusions that only knows me from radio. I happen not to be black, but I have hair very similar to a black man. And I toyed with the idea of trying to tease it out like Don King, but I couldn't figure it out. I don't know if that's a product that he does, or if you have to train it in a certain way. Did you guys compare notes on that at all? First of all, it takes a lot of courage to do that. Because your hair is your identity. Right. It's the reason why when you go into the service, the first thing they do is shave your head because they want everybody to be the same. If you have no hair, you know, your hair makes a statement. Most men wear their hair like they're embarrassed for having any. It's almost like an apology. I'm sorry I have hair and I'll try and wear it in a way that you don't notice. You know, what I mean? you know so it's, it's very funny. inobtrusive. I, um, I, uh, my hair grows outward. So I always feel like I look a little thinner when I get a haircut because whenever I get a haircut, people say, oh, you look like you lost weight. Meanwhile, I haven't lost any weight. I lost two (laughs) inches, uh, maybe two ounces from the hair that was on my head. But, you know, in the last couple of years, I've developed this single gray streak in my hair, kind of like Tulsi Gabbard has or Pepe Le Pew. Someone actually asked me, this was another comedy writer, believe it or not. Someone actually asked me if I was intentionally dying this gray streak. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, why would I? Yeah, I can't wait to go gray. Right, I know. No, but it's amazing to even have hair. So many men. Yes, you have great hair. Thank you. You have nice thick hair. Knock wood is right. Yeah, Yeah, it's a wonderful thing to have hair. That it is. Hey, I want to pick your brain on a number of things. I know you're doing something very exciting that uh, we're going to let our listeners in on an opportunity to come see you very soon. And I've seen you perform many times, and it's always a a real treat. I do have to get your take on uh, something that, that happened last week in the world of show business, the world of entertainment, the world of comedy. The uh, decision, well, the twofold decision, James Corden leaving the Late Late Show, which was sort of the Late Late Show on CBS, had been hosted by Tom Snyder, Craig Kilborn, Craig Ferguson, and uh, Craig, uh, uh, James Corden's been doing it these last few years. 
And CBS did something very interesting, and they decided that they're not replacing him. They're not going to have a new host. They're going to go with a totally different format. I think some sort of a, a modern game show style format or something. And a lot of folks are saying this represents a new era in late night television and these late night comedy shows. One, you have any thoughts on James Corden and his legacy as one of these late night hosts generally? And two, what do you think this portends for the future of late night comedy television? You know, James has been getting a lot of weird press lately. Yeah, that's for know? sure. A lot of it not so not so positive. Not so positive. And I think that had a lot to do with it. Late night TV used to be a lot a lot more entertaining. It's become very political. And I think that's turned a lot of people off. People people want you know, we're surrounded by politics every day. Absolutely. The world is in a horrible place. People are hating each other. We're so divided. And I, don't, I think that they used to look forward to late night TV as an escape. And, you know, as soon as you go political, you lose half your audience. You know, it, it's funny. Johnny Carson, you know, he made jokes about politics and politicians, but he sort of made fun of everybody. Of everybody. I, it, you kind of just watching his jokes, watching his monologues, you didn't really get a sense of where he fell on the political spectrum. Exactly. I'm sure, you know, he did have a lot of pronounced political beliefs, but who? I mean, who cares if the jokes didn't reflect that? These days, there's really nobody that does that. There's really nobody that's sort of an equal opportunity exactly. political offender. Exactly. And the same with journalism. Mm. It's very obvious what side they're on. And, you know, right away, like when I do shows, I always tell comics, don't do political stuff because right away you lose half your audience. You don't know who's out there. And uh, that's not why people are coming. People need to laugh. After the last three years, Frank, people are so stressed out. You know, I read an article. I don't know if I brought it with me. It said that 77% of Americans are dealing with some kind of addiction, mm. mostly due to stress. 77%, whether it's alcohol or drugs or food or gambling or shopping, some kind of thing, because people need to feel better. Yeah, I, I am a little surprised that it's that high, but I'm not that surprised if that's an accurate number, because we've been chronicling, particularly since this pandemic and the lockdowns, all the stresses, the anxiety, the depression that people have been dealing with. And that's actually one of the things that I want to bring up with you. By the way, uh, Jeffrey Gurian is my guest in studio for the hour. We have a special number for tonight if you want to call in. It is 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. Whenever I see 444, I always think of that Abbott and Costello routine of, 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 called Brian 4444. Uh, but it's 833-969-4447. If you have questions about comedy, uh, happiness, etc., please feel free to call in. One issue that we talked about a lot last week that a lot of people had varying views on is the the issue of happiness and money about the challenging the old notion and reviewing some new data on this front about whether or not uh, money can actually buy happiness. Now, what's your take on this, Jeffrey? Where do you come down on that? It's such an interesting thing. I know a lot of very rich people that are miserable. Mm. You know, money allows you to be miserable in nicer places. <laughs> That's really the truth. You can, you, you know, it gives you freedom. Money is freedom. But it depends on, you know, is there enough? You know, like when I read about these corporations laying people off, 
it makes me so aggravated because, okay, let's say this corporation makes $20 million a year. So what's wrong with only making $18 million a year? Why does that mean that you have to fire people from their jobs? Who said that every year you must make more and more money? You know, the the CEOs of these companies walk away with millions and millions of dollars. And meanwhile, a lot of average people are getting fired. I don't understand that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and it's one of the things that we've seen in radio the radio stations and the radio companies that are owned by publicly traded corporations because they have to show to their shareholders all the time a slightly higher return or they're uh, not necessarily uh, they're managing their debt in a better way. They do these slash and burn uh, tactics, which results in weekends, overnights that are wall to wall infomercials and just garbage programming. And, you know, that's one of the things that we're blessed with at this radio network is that we're owned by a privately held company. And John Katzmatidis doesn't have anybody to answer to except himself. <laughs> right, right. And I think that's reflected exactly. in the in the programming. So the the verdict, as far as you're concerned, is it sounds like it depends whether or not money it depends on the person if you're happy you know there's that thing that you can't make other people happy until you're happy yourself happiness is a very elusive thing it's nothing that lasts every day all the time it's a state of mind that you have to work hard to achieve you know and i love talking about it because i work very hard to stay happy and there are days when i'm not Mm. and i have to remind myself i make things like a gratitude list which is very, very important to do. And I, I, I always advise people, you know, all my limbs work. I can see. I, I, my senses are functioning. I'm great. I have a nice apartment. I have a car. I have things that a lot of people don't have. I have a wonderful family. I have beautiful daughters. And, uh, you know, I have to write these things down sometimes because people tend to take things for granted. Another thing that came up the other day is the Surgeon General warned about a problem, a public health crisis when it comes to loneliness. And basically what he said was that loneliness was essentially the equivalent in terms of its effect on mortality and your health of smoking 12 or 13 cigarettes a day. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of people listening to us right now, as is the nature of late night radio, who are lonely uh, Mm -hmm. because folks have moved out of the house, maybe their uh, spouse has passed away. Whatever the circumstance is, they find themselves very lonely. What advice do you give someone like that who is struggling with feelings of loneliness and everything that comes with that? I can speak about that because I've experienced that myself. If you went around with me, you'd think I was the mayor of New York. Oh, I I, have been around with you, and I see the reaction you get. I know a lot of people, but there are times – I'm an empath, Mm. which makes me an extremely highly sensitive person. It's a very difficult life. You have to learn to own that sensitivity as a strength and not as a weakness. There was a time in my life I could be in a room full of a 1,000 people and still feel alone, a 1,000 people that were there in my honor – and I could still feel alone. It's a very deep-seated thing. I think it's something that you're born with sometimes. Mm. Um, and I think it has to do with a, a, a level of sensitivity. And um, like I, I get great solace in the comedy community. Whenever I'm feeling off, I go to a comedy club. I just feel the camaraderie of the comedy community. When people are glad to see you, it makes you feel like part of something. You know, I feel bad for people. A lot of people live alone Mm. and COVID brought that to a whole new level. People were locked up and isolated 
for a very, very long time. We're social animals. We need to be with Absolutely. people. We're not meant to be isolated and be alone. You couldn't even visit people. When I had COVID, my kids couldn't come to visit me. I wouldn't allow them to. And I mean, you just couldn't. It, it was so dangerous. I got sick, you know, in March of 2020 because I'm a trendsetter, Frank. You know, <laughs> I went right out. Got, as soon as it was available, I went right out and got it. And I wound up in the hospital with COVID double pneumonia. Because single pneumonia wasn't good enough for me. <laughs> I went in with both lungs. And I joke about it now, but I was sick for months. And I was very, very lucky. But people were isolated. Isolation leads to loneliness and depression. People tend to feel very alone. And, you know, that's why there are groups. It's important. I used to tell my mom, look for things that are interesting to you, even on the Internet. You know, if you have a computer... It's very important to find things that, that, that stir an interest in you. Go to groups. Go to a library. Find something to read. You know, there are many ways to get out of yourself. Because when you're alone, you tend to think negative thoughts. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. I, I think there's a lot of value in social media, especially for people that find themselves unable to leave the house for whatever reason. But I, I think sometimes social media can actually enhance the degree of isolation that people feel oh, about what's going on. Completely. Everybody's on their phone 24-7. It's gotten to the point where you can't call anybody it's true. anymore. It's true. If you call somebody, they get ticked off. They're like, what the F do you want? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Text I can, me. Well, Text me. you know, my excuse in terms of why I'm ticked off when someone calls is I am asleep at the during the hours when <laughs> most people are, are doing their phone call business. Hey, uh, Jeffrey Gurian is my guest in studio, legendary comedian, comedy writer, uh, uh, host, director, producer, etc. I know we're adding new listeners all the time. Very blessed to be adding new stations all the time. And if you're wondering who Jeffrey Gurian is, there's a phenomenal documentary, a short documentary about Jeffrey that sums him up very, very well in 15 minutes. It's called Who the F is Jeffrey Gurian? It's on the YouTube. I've shared it on Facebook as well. But um, go to the YouTube and uh, just type in Who the F is Jeffrey Gurian, G-U-R-I-A-N, and a whole world opens up. It's worth seeing. You could also uh, go to ComedyMattersTV.com. There's a lot of great stuff on there. Hey, uh, so I see you are are on the cover of the very stylish photo, I must say, <laughs> of uh, Sutton Place Social, comic legend Jeffrey Gurian. And uh, you open the inside, there's pictures of you and John Mulaney, you and Nick Kroll, you and Kevin Hart, you and Amy Poehler, you and Amy Schumer, you and Jerry Seinfeld, just to show that you're capable of taking photos with people that aren't named Amy. Amy. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is terrific. How did this, uh, this Sutton Place magazine cover come to crazy. fruition? Somebody actually suggested me to the editor, and I got a call one day saying, you know, would you be willing to be our cover girl? Not a cover <laughs> I'm officially a cover girl now. You, right? got, you do have the long hair. so Would you be willing to be our cover story for our January issue? And I said, wow, what an honor. I looked at the magazine. It's a boutique magazine, very special. And it was, it was really great. You know, they came and shot me and used pictures with me and my family and all these people that I've been associated with over the years. And it's um, it's a, it's really weird seeing yourself like that. I'm just hoping that they don't ask for a centerfold. <laughs> that's where I'm drawing the line. I do like that, you have it. your Gurian Angels jacket in the style of Curtis Lee was Guardian Angels. It's an you. exact, you know, it's such a crazy story. 
Nick Kroll and John Mulaney have been very wonderful friends to me, and they had me open their Broadway show. They had this hit Broadway show called Oh Hello, mm. and during the show, they referenced Curtis Sliwa. They didn't know that I knew Curtis That's so Sliwa. Funny. Yeah, be, and people don't know. You were actually Curtis's dentist, dentist. Years I ago. was his dentist many years ago. And, and, and uh, Lisa, also his first wife, right? And uh, so they referenced Curtis Sliwa, and so they have me open their show for them. And as a surprise one night, I invited Curtis. And they made me this jacket, an exact replica of the Guardian Angels, but my jacket says Gurian Angels. And they got two models to wear Gurian Angels T-shirts. <laughs> and they had me open this their press conference for the show. So I brought Curtis to the show one night as a surprise. And Curtis wore his Guardian Angels jacket. I wore my Guardian Angels jacket. They didn't make me wear the beret, though, because of my hair. Naturally, yeah. I just had to hold it in a threatening manner, <laughs> is what they said. I was the head of security. And Fred Armisen was the guest that night. You know, Fred sure. Armisen from SNL. And it, he said it had always been his dream to meet Curtis Lewa. And so he was so thrilled that I brought him. And we have pictures together, all of us. Uh, we got to break in a moment. But since you mentioned Saturday Night Live, that is one of the shows that is off air now due to the uh, Writers Guild strike. I was uh, hoping to tune into Bill Maher's show on Friday. That show was off the air. A a lot of the late-night comedy shows are off the air. A lot of uh, scripted television programs are off the air because of this writer's strike. And I think Pete Davidson was supposed to host last night. Yeah, this was supposed to be a big issue on uh, on Saturday night. you have any reaction to what's going on now? Any thoughts about what this might portend for the future of, of television in general and comedic television specifically? I think what they want is to get rights for uh, for writers who are writing for the streaming services. Um, for some reason, writers don't get the respect that they deserve. You know, actors can act, but they can only act with what's on That's the script. True. That's true. They need the words. Writers are very important. Years ago, if you wrote for a famous comedian, they didn't often like that you said that you wrote for them. I used to get permission to say it because I... Because if I was a dentist, I didn't want to look like a novelty. I, I, so I had to write for very famous people in order to establish credibility for myself. And I always asked them, is it okay if I said – and they all said yes. But there, there, a lot of writers never got credit because people – there's a lot of comedians who don't want it known that they work with writers. Well, they want to maintain the illusion that they've come up with all with these all jokes this on their own. Stuff. Yeah, right. but if you do a lot of TV, you run out of material. I can imagine. So you really need writers. I can imagine. These days, a lot of comics don't use writers. But the Writers Guild is trying to get you know, compensation, I think, for the writers who are writing for the streaming services. When, you've mentioned that you have written for some of the biggest names in, in comedy – when you do that, when you're writing for a Rodney Dangerfield or a Woody Allen or uh, someone that is very, very uh, distinct As in terms of their persona. own their yeah. own voice, how difficult is it to change how you're thinking? Because you, Jeffrey Gurian, deliver a lot a joke a lot different than Woody Allen would. Woody mm-hmm. Allen delivers a joke a lot different than Rodney Dangerfield would, who delivers exactly. it much different than Joan Rivers is. So how challenging is that to have that sort of internal comedic schizophrenia going on in your It comes in your naturally. System? It's like people who write songs. I can just think in their voice. I hear what they say. I write for people who I admire. I love what they do. So I internalize their comedy. And I can tell. It's hard to explain. But theoretically, no comedian should be able to do another comedian's jokes. They should be that personalized. So when I wrote for 
Rodney, he let me tape his act so I could listen to it over and over again. And the same with Joan. And I used to like to work from a tape, but you can just hear their voice and you can know that you have to write the way they would say it. So it's a very good question. You know what I just did is I asked ChatGPT. Are you familiar with ChatGPT? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I asked ChatGPT to write me a comedic monologue about dentistry in the style of Jeffrey Gurian. Oh, really? Okay? Oh, that's so interesting. So um, just seconds ago, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm going to have you review this and see how this compares to the real Jeffrey Gurian in just a moment. Additionally, uh, we're going to tell you how you could see Jeffrey Gurian. He's uh, got a great uh, gig that he's going to be a part of this week featuring him and uh, some other terrific comedians as well. You want to call in, you're welcome to call in. Special number just for today, 833-969-4447, 833-969-4447. Jeffrey Gurian, my guest for this hour, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Singing jump, jump around. I thought it was insane in the membrane, which is sort of a similar style. Uh, ju- uh, jump around by House of Pain. Believe it or not, uh, that song has been associated occasionally over the years with my guest this hour, the one and only Jeffrey Gurian. What is the nexus between Jeffrey Gurian and House of Pain? Because I used to go around to every comedy club. Sometimes I did five, six clubs a night. I would jump around to the clubs. And when I was a regular on Sirius XM, they started associating that song with me. And I had a column in the Interrobang, which is a very big comedy website. And it was called Jumping Around with Jeffrey Gurian. So that's what I do. I, I, I love jump, it. That's I jump great. around. That's great. And then, and then you say, when you hear that song, you know, Jeffrey's in the house. I mean, I like the the upbeat nature of the, of you and that song. I could kind of see the, even without the jump around aspect of it, I could see how that would make sense. All right. I'm going to read you this, uh, this uh, comedic monologue written in the style of Jeffrey Gurian and tell me how this compares to how you would actually do. Yeah. And uh, we'll see how many how many comedy writers may be losing their jobs thanks to uh, ChatGPT. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever noticed how... And just be ready with a rim shot here when appropriate, <laughs> Matt Place. Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever noticed how dentists seem to have a little bit of a sadistic streak? I mean, they're the only people in the world who actually enjoy making you bleed. And what's up with all the weird contraptions they use? I mean, seriously, who thought it was a good idea to stick a metal hook in someone's mouth and start scraping away like they're digging for gold? 
And don't even get me started on the dreaded dental drill. That thing sounds like a combination of a jackhammer and a jet engine. It's like they're trying to drill to the center of the earth through your molars. But you know what's even worse than the actual dental work? It's the small talk. I mean, how are you supposed to make conversation with someone who has their hands in your mouth and can only respond with grunts and nods? And why do they always ask you questions when they know you can't answer? So have any exciting plans for the weekend? Yeah, sure. Let me just mumble unintelligibly while you poke around in my gums. And uh, it kind of goes on like that. Uh, it is, what, what do we give it? A five? Five? <laughs> Four or five. Four? Okay. I'll tell you. A friend of mine did that and asked them to write a story about me. Some of it was true. A lot of it, it was lies. It said that I was responsible for the success of many television shows, <laughs> which is totally false. And, you know, so... It's got some information, but some of it is completely false. Well, same thing with me. I asked it to write about uh, me. It said I was born in Brooklyn. It said I was a very different age than the age that I am, actually. And it said that I actually have two children in- instead of the one with, which I'm aware of. So, all right. Um, but I'll tell you something, though. In my early days, I used to try to do jokes about dentistry. They never worked. Uh-huh. The only thing that worked, I think I told Curtis that that – for security in New York City, they should flood the city with dentists because people are more afraid of the dentists than they are of the police. <laughs> so there should be a dentist on every corner and it would cut down on crime because who wants to mess with a dentist, right? Is there any connection between the issue we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, the issue of stress and anxiety in the aftermath of the pandemic and the lockdowns? And what's going on with people's health, specifically their dental health? Yeah, there's a tremendous connection. I, I, I actually just did a lecture for this great group, uh, a webinar, to raise money for poor children and, and poor elderly people in Israel who couldn't afford dental care. And we talked about the effects of stress. There's something called the TMJ. Are you mm. familiar with it? Yeah. The temporomandibular joint. It's considered a master joint. It's the joint in your jaw that allows your mouth to open and close. And when people are stressed out, which we have been for the last three years, many people clench and grind their teeth. And the interesting thing is that they don't know that they do it very often. I used to have people in practice whose teeth were worn down to little stubs who insisted that they didn't grind their teeth. And there was no other way that they could get that way. And what happens is that when you overwork the muscles of your face, those muscles go into spasm. Now, if you ever had a cramp in your calf, you know how painful that is. Mm. But when you get a cramp in your head, it doesn't feel the same way because the muscles in your head are not fleshy. Your head feels like it's made of bone, but it's bone covered by a very thin layer of muscle. And when those muscles are overworked, they cramp up, they close down on the blood vessels and the nerves in them, and that's what causes the pulsating headaches. So in this country alone, there's more than 150 million people who suffer with what they think are migraine headaches that are really coming from their jaw the musculoskeletal headaches. So if you wake up in the morning and your neck hurts, the last person in the world you would think to tell would be your dentist. Why would you ever tell your dentist your neck hurts? So dentists need to ask people, when you wake up in the morning, do you ever have neck stiffness, shoulder pain, back pain? Because all that comes from grinding your teeth. Plus, a lot of people are cracking fillings and cracking teeth, and a lot of dentists are reporting that many of their patients are experiencing those kind of problems, all from stress. Wow. Uh, Jeffrey Green is my guest. You can check him out, comedymatterstv.com. 
the uh, if someone deals with migraine headaches from time to time, how do they know if they're getting it because they get migraine headaches or if it's tied to something like uh, grinding like teeth clenching or, or grinding your teeth? Well, they can't diagnose it themselves. A doctor has to do it. But clinically, migraine headache, uh, true migraine headaches, people usually see an aura. They'll see like yellow spots maybe, something like that. They're, they're, there's an aura that's associated with a true migraine headache. But with clenching and grinding causing headaches, it's usually tightness in the neck and shoulder areas and tightness in the jaws, inability to open your mouth too wide. It feels like your teeth are shifting. Sometimes people say, my teeth are getting crooked. They used to be straighter or I'm getting spaces between my teeth because from the grinding, they actually move your teeth. That's the basis behind orthodontia. Mm. And if you put gentle pressure on teeth, they will move. The bone softens. That's how they straighten teeth with braces. You you tighten the wires and you put gentle pressure on. The bone softens and you can move the teeth where you want them to be. But when you're grinding your teeth, you're just moving them back and forth so they get loose. Do you think uh, braces are overused and over... Uh, I don't know if prescribed is the right word, but overused by orthodontists and dentists these days? Not in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know... There's an age when they're supposed to start. And again, I'm not an orthodontist, so I don't know. But usually they wait until, um, like, when the jaws are still growing, you have to wait until that is kind of stopping. Sometimes they start kids when they're young. It depends on the problem. If there's a, a prognatism, you know, those people, their chin sticks out. Sure. The bottom teeth stick out further. That they can start fixing usually at an earlier age. But, uh, again, those are questions more for an orthodontist. Gotcha. gotcha. I was just curious. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Jeffrey Gurian is here, a tremendous stand-up comic, comedy writer, host, author. You are performing uh, and doing a great event at the Expo uh, here in New York City on Wednesday. What are you doing? It's a new space, and it's really exciting. It's called the uh, the Expo. It's in It's in Chelsea. In the Ali Ali Market, you know how Chelsea Marketplace has a big food emporium? Sure. This is a new food court. And I was in there one day for an event. And this young guy comes over to me, um, the manager of the place. And he says to me, are you Jeffrey Gurian? I said, yeah. He goes, hey, I'm a big fan from the Black Phillip show. It's a show that I did with the great Patrice O'Neill. Oh, sure. Who was a legend in comedy. And it was a great honor to me that he chose me as his co-host and... You know, unfortunately, he left us in 2011 at only 41 years old. Oh. But the the love for Patrice O'Neill is still very strong. It's amazing. And so he said to me, I'm a big fan of that show. Would you be willing to bring in a comedy show here? And I said, yeah, absolutely. It's a great space. So it's going to be this Wednesday night, May 10th at 8 o'clock. And for your New York listeners, I love your audience, Frank, by the way. You have Terrific. a wonderful Thank audience. You. And I want to invite them with a special email that you can – and I'll give you discount tickets. Anybody Wonderful. from Frank Morano's show, the email is Expo Comedy, E-X-P-O, Expo Comedy, May, M-A-Y, 10, at gmail.com. So it's Expo Comedy, May 10, at gmail.com. And if you send me an email that you'd like to come, I will give you a code for discount tickets. Doors open at 7. There's going to be food and drinks. It's going to be amazing. And some of my comics have been on Fallon, Renan Hirschberg, Jeff Arcuri, Drew Dunn, Aaron Berg, and Andre Kim, all from Late Night TV. Terrific. Festival winners, all amazing. I, I handpicked each of these comedians because I jump around. And I, <laughs> I go to all the comedy clubs, 
and I see who's the best of the best, and that's who I choose for my show. I'm hosting. I'll be performing. I'm hosting and opening the show. And so hopefully people will show well, up. Well, that's terrific. So it's uh, if again, if people want special uh, other side of midnight discounted tickets, they can email Jeffrey at expo, E-X-P-O, comedy May 10 at gmail.com. This Wednesday night starts at 7. seven doors open at 7. It's 601 West 26th Street on the west side, 601 West 26th. Doors open at 7. Show starts at 8. And it'll probably be over around 10. And so hopefully your listeners can Terrific. come. Well, it's, uh, I've seen a lot of the talent that you've recruited at different events before. And uh, to your point, they are always top notch. But for me, Tell me- the, uh, the, the treat is always seeing you, uh, you perform and do your material. All right. We're going to take one more break. Jeffrey Gurian is here for the hour. Comedy writer, stand-up comic, host. You can see him Wednesday. Just email expocomedymay10 at gmail.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight out, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Joined in studio for the hour by a man who has occasionally been described by some as crazy, the one and only Jeffrey Gurian. You can see for yourself this Wednesday, if you're in New York or want to come to New York, exactly how crazy he is. He's going to be at the Expo Wednesday evening. You can email expocomedymay10 at gmail.com. He's a comedy writer, a stand-up comic, producer, director, and former dentist. Uh, who Who was it that tagged you with that? Gnarls Barkley song, Crazy. Who? Did, where did that come from? It goes back a while. I just want to say in that email, May 10, the 10 is the number 10. It's not spelled out. Okay, so yeah, it's one May, zero. May, yeah, right. one zero. Okay. Yeah. Uh, crazy, I may have na- I, I may have owned it myself. Yeah, I There were times <laughs> I just felt I related to that song. When Ross Perot ran for president in uh, 1992, he had Crazy as uh, as his, uh, not that version of Crazy, but I think it was Patsy Cline's version of Crazy as his campaign theme. Oh, really? Because everyone oh, yeah. called him uh, called him Crazy. It, when, if you're a little eccentric. Exactly. That's what they think. Exactly. You know? Trust me, I, I've had that uh, label thrown at me many a time. Eccentric is a nicer word. Although in, in the world of talk radio, I'm about as normal as as can be. No, that's for sure. In the, in the outside world, forget about it. They're ready to institutionalize me. In the world of talk radio, I'm the normal one. Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned that one of the things you like to do for fun is uh, check out comedy clubs and uh, spend some time in comedy clubs that you feel like that's home. Do, in terms of television and films these days, I know you obviously work on a lot of films as a writer. You've written more books than most people have read. What do you do in terms of – what entertainment do you find enjoyable – 
that doesn't involve live entertainment? Is there anything that you watch that you really – are there any shows that you, for instance, can't miss? You know, that's an interesting question. Thank you. I, I, t- I, tune to, I turn to Netflix a lot. I like action films. I couldn't tell you one that I watched. They're all so similar. They are, everyone's they everyone's child gets kidnapped and they have to rescue them. Like Liam Neeson, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ta- uh, uh, Taken one, skills, two, three. Right. You know? So I watch those kind of films because we're surrounded by crime. And I always wish that somebody would be out there who could do that, <laughs> who could settle this thing in this city and get rid of this crime thing. Um, but you, oh, you asked me something and it struck a chord and now I forgot it. Um, about what you watch or prior to that? I think it was prior to that. I don't, you know, I don't really, oh, I love comedy though. I mean, that's really what I do to relax. And I should say this, I'm going to announce it on your show. We're doing something at Gotham Comedy Club in the next month or so, a new TV independent pilot we're shooting called The Raw Side of Comedy. And I was hired as the exec producer in New York, and I brought on Chris Mazzilli, who's the owner of Gotham. We're going to be doing it together with a team of people from Philly. I have a great lineup of comedians, and it's going to be a competition-slash-reality show, some very unusual things. Oh, that's terrific. I can't give away the whole thing yet because the comedians are going to be very surprised at what they have to do. What's the timeline for that? Where can we look forward to seeing that? I would say in the next... Four to six weeks. Terrific. And I'll be on again, hopefully, to, Absolutely. Tell, to talk about it. But we're definitely doing it at Gotham Comedy Club. It's a wonderful space, very elegant. They serve great food. And it's just a nice place to shoot a TV show. They had done Gotham Comedy Live from that place. That was a show that lasted for several seasons mm. through Access TV. And we're using the same crew. Oh, great. So I had seen really that show cool. when my colleague Joe Piscopo was on. And uh, I enjoyed that show. It is a great space. I made my national debut on that show. And John Lovitz was the host that week. And he and I were very old friends from Columbus Cafe days. Do you remember those days? Uh, I, you know, I never was you, at the you, Columbus Cafe. But I've seen, I've seen and heard the, story. I've see, uh, heard the stories from you and many others. And seen some photos of you hanging out with uh, a lot of bold-faced names at Columbus back in the day. Do, do you ever watch the show Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I have, yes. Yeah. I have. So that, if people aren't familiar with it, it's about a comic, a female comic, could be sort of Joan Rivers, could be sort of Phyllis Diller, it could be a lot of people, who is coming of age, she's Jewish, in um, 19, early 1960s New York. Now, I realize you sort of came of age comedically in, in the 70s and 80s, not necessarily the early 60s. But from what you've seen of that show, does it ring true to you, the, yeah. the comedy aspect of it? It really does. That's why it's so successful. And I'm involved in another show. I mean, that show is going off the air right. this season. It's this the, is last the last season. season. Right. It's interesting that Rachel Brosnahan, who was not Jewish, plays such a wonderful Jewish girl, you know, such a great part. And her dad, I'm blanking on his name, but he also plays a wonderful part. It's very true to life. Well, the actor is Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub. Terrific. I yeah. couldn't think of his name, the actor, right. Um, it's a great show. And I was asked to get involved in a show that's set in that time frame. People are very interested in that time frame. When the Catskills was the place to be. Sure. You know, before Bud Friedman opened the improv in 63, there was no such thing as a comedy club. So comedians had to perform in hotels and nightclubs and, you know, like the 21 Club and fancy clubs. But, there, you know, and, and then coffee houses opened up in the village, like where Woody Allen would perform and places like that. But there was no official comedy club until Bud Friedman came along and opened the Improv in 1963. And it didn't even start as a comedy club. 
they used to have singers there. Broadway stars would come by after they were done with the show and perform. And after a couple of years, Bud realized that people were coming more for comedy than anything else. Hmm. And he turned it into the world's first comedy club. And it wasn't until 1973 that Rick Newman, who we just lost very recently, opened Catch a Rising Star. And then Richie Tinkin opened the comic strip in 76. That was the third comedy club in New York City. But before that, there were no comedy That's clubs. wild. Uh, that's wild. Well, I didn't realize it was that recent of, uh, of an innovation. But you mentioned that other uh, project that you were involved in that was set in that, in that era. In that time frame. And I'm going to be a script consultant because I was there as a little kid. As a little kid, I sang in a choir. And I was a soloist. I sang in a Hebrew choir. And for the high holidays the Jewish holidays, we would go to the hotels, the Concord, Grossingers, Kutchers, and we would sing for the, for the people that came up for the holidays. And uh, it was an amazing experience. My grandfather owned a nightclub, so I was exposed to show business at a very early age. Growing up, all our family events were at this nightclub, and it was a hot spot. When I met Milton Berle and Jerry Lewis and all, they all knew of my grandfather's place wow. called the, uh, the Red Mill. And so I was exposed to that at a very early age. So, and then I went back as an adult because I was writing comedy for people and I would go to the hotels to meet the comedians that I wanted to meet. That's where I met George Burns and Alan and Rossi, you know, all the comedians sure. wow. of that time. They were all performing up there. The You were also an accomplished author and uh, semi or pseudo journalist. You uh, spent some time writing for the world's most uh, respected and venerated news publication, the Weekly World News, uh, which uh, I really do miss. That made the supermarket experience worthwhile for me uh, years ago. And there are a lot of news stories that don't kind of get the coverage that they probably deserve. I try to highlight news stories from time to time that um, people may have missed. You have written a book called Man Robs Bank with His Chin. And you've highlighted a number of these news stories that just for some reason have not gotten mainstream press attention. Uh, give us a few examples of, and p- the book's available on Amazon, just search Jeffrey Gurian, G-U-R-I-A-N. Give us a few examples of some stories people may have missed if they didn't read your book. For instance, The Whispering Village of Turkmenistan, where everyone whispers and they live to be over 100 years old. Wow. The main cause of death, Frank, can you guess what it is? No idea. People getting run over by ox carts because they're yelling, (laughs) watch out, watch out. You can't warn anybody when you're whispering. That's the thing. Then there's a college professor fired for casually removing his spine in class. You can't do that. And he would ask the students to help reinsert his spine. And the students would be like, we don't want to be involved in that. What if it goes in wrong? <laughs> you know, another victim of cancel culture there. Unbelievable. It's 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 crazy. Man displays uncanny ability to lift heavy objects with his eye. Can you imagine? He started small, lifting pennies as a child with his eye. You know how hard that is. I can't get imagine a muscular eye. That's very uh, very very difficult. Yeah, I can't imagine the exercises. He can lift a table with his eye. Unbelievable. With w- just one eye. One eye. Amazing. Man removes own appendix using beer as anesthetic. Oh well, uh, that I can actually see happening. You know, he 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 uh, he got his mother to help him. His mother had been cleaning hospital rooms for many years, and he thought that that gave her the knowledge to help him. So he laid down. He he finished this whole uh, thing of beer, a whole case of beer. 
and he took a serrated, like one of those little uh, forks they use for eating shrimp cocktails. Oh, sure. Yeah. Opened, a, opened himself up with the help of his mother and speared his appendix and took it out and used dental floss to, to, to sew himself up. Amazing. Do you, and, do you know if it was waxed dental floss or uh, unwaxed? No, unwaxed, unwaxed. dental floss. Okay. And he approached the hospital, but the head of the hospital said that surgery is not a party game and it should not be done by drunk men with their mothers. Mm. That was the advice that they gave. Yeah, and that's good advice for people at home. If uh, you need an appendectomy, go to a hospital. Don't try and do it on your on own. On your own. Even surgery. if you have a lot of beer. Exactly. The last story I'll mention is ties in with something that, that, you know, that we spoke about er- earlier. Holding your own hand to avoid loneliness. Ah, that, that, that goes hand in hand with wait, what wait, we wait, discussed wait, earlier. Exactly, yeah. hand in hand. Um, Holding your own hand. You see a lot of men walking in the street hands behind their back, it looks like they took themselves into custody. See, I, I've always yeah. wondered about that. Yeah. You, they look like they're handcuffed, but right. they are going to know just handcuffs. holding they, their own hand. There you go. Hey, That's it. Uh, they're all in the book, Man Robs Bank with His Chin and Other Unusual Stories. Uh, Missed by mainstream media. Love it. Uh, Jeffrey Gurian is the author. You can get it on Amazon. Hey, I mentioned our mutual friend Joe Piscopo earlier. Uh, his friend, uh, his producer, uh, Joe Sibilia, sort of uh, a protege of mine, used to be my intern many years ago, yes. and uh, took over for me when I left to do this program and stopped producing uh, Joe Piscopo's program. Joe, by the way, does a great Sundays with Sinatra show that's now natu- nationally syndicated mm-hmm. all over the radio. It's doing really wonderfully. It's got a lot of growth. I listen to it all the time. Um, what did you do with Joe Sibilia recently? Joe Sibilia is producing a Friars Club podcast. And he called me and he said to me he had been, he had more, he had been wanting to have me on for a long time mm-hmm. because my history with the Friars Club goes back to the 70s. Milton Berle was actually my sponsor in the Friars You're Club. You're kidding. Wow. If you have a very young audience, they may not even know who Milton Berle was, but hopefully they do. Milton Berle was known as Mr. Television because people in this country actually bought televisions just to watch his show. That's how he got that nickname. How did you get to know Uncle Milty? From the Friars Club, and I'm trying to remember who who introduced us. I guess, you know, I was the main writer for the Friars Roast for 12 years, and I guess that's how I got to meet him because we we used to sit together at the club, and he would regale me with stories about his implants, that he was getting his teeth done, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in Beverly Hills, and he got a kick out of the fact of my other career. But I got to write jokes for Milton, and... We became such good friends that he sponsored me for membership. He was the president of the L.A. Friars, took me to his house when I was out in L.A., and I'm just sitting there talking, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm sitting here with Milton Berle. I grew up watching him on TV as a little kid. I couldn't believe it. And then I got to meet Jerry Lewis and all those guys from the the Golden Age, Red Buttons and Henny Youngman and all. So Joe Sebelia interviewed me for an hour, and we ran out of time. He goes, I have to come back. Oh, that's so great. so many more stories. Is that out? Can people listen to that now? Yes, it's on Apple Podcasts. He just posted it last night. Oh, terrific. So uh, yeah. should, what should they search? Friars Club Podcast? Friars Club Podcast, Jeffrey Gurian, and, and it should come right up. You know, Milton Berle, so, such an innovator in the world of uh, comedy, and as you mentioned, in the world of television, the, the similar groundbreaking comedic print publication in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s had to have been Mad Magazine, right? Recently, yeah, yeah, for sure. uh, a couple of weeks ago, we lost at 102 years old the cartoonist Al Jaffe who made that 
fold in on the back page of Mad Magazine. He made that his, his thing, and you always kind of bought Mad Magazine if for no other reason, just for that fold in in the back. Did you read Mad Magazine? I did. I used to love Don Martin's characters, those guys with the strange shaped heads. You, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. man, Don Martin! I used I, to I like draw the spy them. versus spy. I uh, sat for hours. I would draw the Don Martin things. I, I had a, a facility for drawing, but that to me. I loved Mad Magazine. See, that's the kind of thing, because they don't really publish anymore. I think of all these things that my son will never get to know. Sometimes it's a retail store like Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't really care much about that. But then I do care about the fact that, you know, he'll never have that experience of while we're taking him to the grocery store or a bookstore, leafing through something like uh, Weekly World News or Mad Magazine. I have every issue that I was in. They told me that my stories were so strange that they gave me my own column. It was called Gurian's World of the Bazaar. <laughs> and, and, and I wrote for them for more than a year. I had a story every week, and I loved it. But now I, I believe it's only online. Right. Uh, same thing with Mad It's not now, print too. anymore, uh, same yeah, thing which, with is Mad. A, which is a shame. Exactly. It really – I don't know what the future of print media is, but uh, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it is just something that I certainly do miss. All right. Jeffrey Gurian is my guest. You can see him this Wednesday in New York City. You can email uh, for a special rate for tickets. He's going to be at the Expo in Chelsea. You can email expocomedymay1010 at gmail.com. That's Expo Comedy May 10 at gmail.com. Also, if uh, you pick up Sutton Place magazine, you can actually see uh, Jeffrey on the cover. This could be a whole new career for you as a magazine you, you, model. You never know. <laughs> right? The new Carol Lowe. I, I need the more Carol things Waltz to do. Comedy. Yes. I don't have enough hyphens in my name. I need more things. <laughs> but I hope your listeners come because your audience is a wonderful audience. And I like people that stay up late. I'm a late night person, as you can see. Naturally. I love coming on here. Naturally. I, I don't understand morning people, but I like late night people. So if people come, I will welcome them. I'd like to meet some of your listeners in person. Now, just so people know what they're in store for for this Wednesday, is the uh, comedy kind of edgy? Is it? Uh, is it? Uh, how would you describe the kind of comedy they're in store for this Wednesday? It's not political at all. I don't do that. I don't like to d- divide audiences. I like comedy that's inclusive of everybody. I just talk about things that strike me funny, and so do the comedians that I chose. So you're not going to be offended. There's nothing, you know, these days there's a, there are people home right now who can't wait to be offended by something. Oh, naturally. If they come to my so we've show. we've offended uh, 20 people in the <laughs> 45 minutes we've been if here. If they come to my show, they'll be disappointed. There's nothing offensive that anybody does. Everybody just does stuff to make you laugh because that's what we need. They say laughter is the best medicine, and it's true. I'm on the board of this group called LaughMD mm. that brings comedy to hospitals, to sick people, to cancer patients, and to people in re- recovery. And it's very, very important. Laughter releases endorphins, the pleasure chemical. And it's very, very important. So it's not just a cliche that laughter is the oh, best Oh, no, medicine. I completely agree with that. Uh, that's been uh, that's been my experience anecdotally, and I think that's been borne out. And I think it's sort of... Is in some ways similar to what the Surgeon General was saying about loneliness earlier, in that um, the same sort of uh, 
kind of dystopian thinking that uh, is present when you're lonely is the same sort of thing that's alleviated with with laughter. So mm-hmm. hope everybody comes out and sees Jeffrey Gurian on on Wednesday night. Jeffrey, it's always a treat to see you. Thank you for coming in. It's so great to be here, Frank. I can't wait to see you again. I'll look forward <laughs> to that. Uh, check out Jeffrey Gurian's books on Amazon, G-U-R-I-A-N. And again, if this is your first time hearing Jeffrey, do watch that documentary, Who the F is Jeffrey Gurian? It's on YouTube, and you can go to ComedyMattersTV.com. A lot more to come to, including some really um, wild comments from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. yesterday. We'll tell you what he had to say. Keep asking questions.